Nat, I have a bit of a mystery for you today. You always have mysteries for me. This is nothing new. Well, this is something called the 100,000 year problem. Have you heard of it before? No, but now I'm intrigued. This sounds much more interesting than, than what I, I thought you were going to tell me today. I thought you were going to start with something like, I've lost my socks. Where did they go? Well, this has to do with the frequency of ice ages, as there's a cycle that they occur, and there's some problem with it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. In, in fact, there, it might be a 100,000-year problem. Yeah, okay, okay. Yes, actually, hold on. Now that you're mentioning this, so is this similar to or the same thing as the whole, like, there's a mass extinction every X amount of time, and we're kind of, like, due for one now? No, not not really. Uh, that's that's pretty scary. Yeah. So actually, interesting fact. Um, I was a nerd as a child. Shocker. I watched a ton of Discovery Channel. Also shocker. And they had the like walking with dinosaurs thing. And in that mm -hmm. episode, I very clearly remember talking through. And this is actually in Neil deGrasse Tyson's version of Cosmos too. Mass extinction events happen at like a weirdly regular time period. And it's like getting to the point where like, quote, do for one soon. Um, in as oh. much sense as like, it's been 3.6 million years. Does that mean 3,682,000 or 3,681,000, right? Oh, like okay. One of those kind of things like we're no. due for it. Anyways, not related, 100,000 years, ice ages. Are we gonna freeze, yes or no? Well, it's it's actually a much more boring thing because this isn't me saying, hey, we better be scared of ice ages ever happening. It's me saying in the past there was some problem with some scientific data and here's the solution for it. <sighs> you get me all excited about this mystery and then you literally punch me in the gut by saying it's not that interesting. So I'm hoping you're wrong, but okay, let's go. So there's going to be a lot of background for this. So let's start off with talking about how you get the average temperature from, you know, thousands of years ago. It's not that you can go and dig up some fossilized thermometer from a thousand years ago and you'd be like, oh, that's what it used to be. Mm. Actually, ooh, I might know this one. Can, can I take a guess? Mm -hmm. It's it's uh, they drill like core samples, right? Like way down into the ice. And then they read the core samples using the science and that somehow tells them about the, the average temperature. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, except not, not in ice, in rock. Oh, okay. And then, but okay. The, the same thing applies still. It's, it's very much the same. Got it, got it. Okay, I thought it was in ice because like the polar caps tend to be affected more when there's temperature variations because of melting and freezing, and they use that to... Anyway, yeah. So you drill some rock or some ice or a tree maybe too. I don't know. Maybe a big old tree. <laughs> A tree that goes really far down. We got we got so far down into this tree, we went back millions of years. <laughs> <laughs> so you take this core sample, and then uh, you look at properties of the rock from way deep down, because it's kind of like clothes in a laundry hamper, right? The, the deeper down the clothes are in the hamper, the longer ago it was. The same thing with rock. Yeah, same thing. Uh, you might be able to guess that this has something to do with nuclear physics. Just like, you know, finding the concentration of carbon-14, mm. which is a, a heavier version of carbon, you can use that to date how old something is, and that's radiocarbon dating for anyone who doesn't know. Mm -hmm. Which, um, because we have degrees in physics, a little, like, 20-second caveat here, uh, the decay of carbon uh, is, is, like, really well-known and well-studied. So if you dig something up and you measure how much of a certain isotope of carbon you have, you know exactly how old it is. And by exactly, mm -hmm. I mean 
multiples of 5,000 years, basically, exactly. Yeah, 5,000 something. <laughs> something like that. Yeah, so you can you can use radioactive decay to, to age things pretty well. Uh, Google Half-Life problems and you'll find it on any cool math games related website. Yeah, not the video game. Now back to our regularly scheduled programming. So we can use something similar with a bit of guesswork to get the temperature at some time. Mm. In specific, here, it's done using the concentrations of oxygen-18. For anyone who doesn't know nuclear physics, which I, I assume are most people, considering you know who yeah, most people don't to. do this stuff for fun like we did. There are three stable isotopes of oxygen, so that means that the oxygen that we, that we breathe, or in this case, in our water, there are three types of oxygen: oxygen 16, 17, and 18, and the numbers just mean how heavy they are. Oxygen 16 is the most common one, with around 99% of it being that type. But, of course, you'll find molecules of water out there that are made of oxygen-18 as well, and that's what we're looking for here. Mm -hmm. And to be clear, like, this is all the same oxygen. It's not like it's a different element, per se. It just means that it has a bunch of, like, extra stuff mixed in there with it. In this case, it's neutrons. It gets a couple of extra neutrons, and then it thinks it's all fancy because it went off to college and got fancy friends and a big, nice job, and now it doesn't call you anymore. Just like how there used to be plants around that absorbed carbon-14 from the atmosphere, it's fossilized and we can find out how old something is by using that isotope. By finding out how much of that isotope is present, there are microorganisms that make these little tiny shells around them and they can absorb water from their surroundings, some of which will have oxygen-18 in it. These things are amoeba and I, I think that the, the fossilized version of these amoeba are actually in a lot of the sand that's around us. So if you ever look at a sand under a microscope, you'll see some of these fossils existing. Oh, interesting. Okay, so the, the whole idea is that we're not actually measuring like the oxygen in the soil. It's kind of like a, we're pulling a Jurassic Park here, right? Like we didn't clone the dinosaur from the fossil. We cloned the mm -hmm. dinosaur from the blood in the mosquito in the fossil. Yeah. That's right. Okay, so you can do something about like temperature by saying like, oh, there's this bug in the dirt and the bug has this oxygen trapped in it because fun fact, bugs breathe through their exoskeleton. They don't have lungs like we do. Um, so that's how they, so them absorbing oxygen. I, I'm making a connection here. Sciencing. Yeah. I'm sciencing. So we're, we pull a Jurassic Park, but way less cool. And it tells us how much of a specific kind of oxygen is in the air. Or in, in the water, rather. Oh, yeah, in the water. Yeah, yeah. Yep, yep, true, true. So this this is done in the seabed. Uh, and since these amoeba have been around for a long time, and they've been all over the place, you can basically go to any part of the seabed, start digging down, and you'll find that there's a certain amount of water in these shells. There were these people who went around the, to different parts of the world and collect 57 different core samples from the seabed and going pretty far down, going a few million years down, I think. Wait, so this isn't like the, the core samples that we use for, for temperature. It's not coming from land rock. That comes from like no. way deep down in the ocean rock. Yeah, it, it needs to be ocean rock. I, I think those amoeba are most concentrated in the ocean or something. Oh, that makes sense. Okay. So just, just to give a recap, you have these fossils that you collect from samples in the seabed. And these fossils absorbed, while they were alive, some water from their surroundings. And depending on some temperature condition, like if there's ice sheets around causing an ice age, you'll see different amounts of oxygen-18 in it. So that's, that's the general idea mm -hmm. with this background.
that very clearly summarizes the mad ramblings of of me on the other end trying to make science connections tonight no, no it's okay i'm just throwing this all at you so you know it's, it's okay they saw that actually the amount of oxygen 18 in the seabed fluctuated in line with the ice ages occurring that's because the extra weight of this heavier uh, version of oxygen that we can tell that this happened it's because it's heavier this type of water will turn into ice quicker than the lighter version of water using oxygen 16. Hmm. so in the case of an ice age it's pretty darn cold you'd find there's more oxygen 18 in ocean water when there's an ice sheet covering it mm, okay so it's not okay so let me get the directionality of this right there's an ice age Ice Age makes a sheet of water on top of the, or a sheet of ice on top of the ocean. Because mm -hmm. the sheet of ice is there, things in general are colder. Mm -hmm. Because it's colder, we see more oxygen 18. From what you're saying, it sounded like oxygen 18 made it freeze easier. So I'm trying to, it is does. this like a chicken or an egg thing? Like, is there more oxygen 18 because it's colder? Or is there more oxygen? 18 or is it colder because there's more oxygen 18 and it froze easier there there's more oxygen 18 because it's colder okay good on the same page oxygen 18 make things go burr but like not like yeah yeah like actually burr because it's cold i'm sorry that was a bad joke i'll i'll leave now <laughs> uh it's actually a neat thing apparently in the tropics near the equator where there's a lot of evaporation going on you'll find that the ocean the surface ocean water has a lot more oxygen 18 than 16 because the 16 is more can more easily turn into water vapor so that mm. goes into clouds and then rains down wherever oh interesting so does that mean that the equator if there was like a snap freeze all of a sudden the equator would freeze really easily maybe because there's a lot of oxygen 18 Anyway, that's not important. So, okay, so we we found we find out the temperature from <laughs> recapping there are bugs in rocks with air and water in them, and that tells us that it's cold. Keep going. These researchers, they got plots like this. You might be wondering, what's he looking at? What kind of plot is this? Well, if you check us out on Twitter at more abstract, you'll be able to see the plot. Got my plug in. Let's keep talking. So it's this kind of plot. This is what they found. The blue line represents the fluctuations in oxygen 18. The, the axes are really weird. Like our professors who told us how to make plots would probably be very disappointed in this plot. I dislike this greatly because there's two Y axes, but one color being plotted. Unless is the gray line a different set of... Okay, you got to talk me through this because I already hate this plot. The plot shows uh, different amounts of oxygen 18 going on. Mm -hmm. So the lower it is on the plot, the more oxygen 18, the colder it is, and that corresponds to an ice age happening. Well, if it's higher, it's a bit warmer, no ice on top of it. That's an interglacial period like what we have today. Mm-hmm. The, the left part of the plot, just ignore that. It's not important for us right now. Yeah, I was going to say, um, I'm noticing a trend in sampling and variance, and I have a lot of questions about their data. But let's pretend that everything before three million years ago doesn't exist. <laughs> so that was all background. Half of this episode, all background. <laughs> Here's the mystery. 
from about two and a half million years ago, there was this cycle of ice ages where one would happen about uh, every 41,000 years. Then in between, there was the, there would be interglacial periods like what we have today, and then another ice age that happens after that. But for some reason, about one million years ago, the frequency of, of this changed to an ice age happening every 100,000 years instead. And that's the 100,000 year problem, which refers to the frequency of these ice ages. You know, I think I would believe this a lot more if this graph didn't suck. Yeah. Because I'm looking at this and <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I buy that. So let's pretend that this graph, which you'll see on Twitter if you check us out at More Abstract, let's pretend that that graph doesn't exist for a second. They get this data, they have the temperatures, and then we know from probably fossil records to like a separate set of data when the ice age happens. And if we overlay those two pieces of information, we see that when there's an ice age in the fossil records, the water bugs that we dug out of the ocean have more oxygen 18. Mm -hmm. Okay. This like change in frequency thing that happens in both, right? Like both the fossil record and the oxygen 18 data would tell us that the frequency of ice ages went from around 40,000 years to around 100,000 years. You know, surprising as it may be, this plot is actually one of the best pieces of evidence that we have that this frequency of ice ages changed. God, I hate science sometimes. This is the best we got. Uh, I have a professor who's still alive, thank goodness, who will someday roll it in his grave because of how bad this plot is. Like, I can literally hear <laughs> his voice in my head telling me how terrible this is. But yes, um, so uh, this piece of garbage, by the way, no, no disrespect to the scientists who did this amazing work. I just have a lot of opinions on graphs. So it all of a sudden goes from 40,000 years to 100,000 years. And now we're going to switch to talking a bit about astrophysics and the, the supposed answers behind this. So Mercury's in retrograde, isn't it? I knew it. My horoscope told me that Mercury was going to cause problems for me today. I'm sorry. I can't even say that with a straight face. <laughs> and all of a sudden, a nice age happened. <sighs> okay, so now we're going to zoom out. We're going to the cosmos. Hit me. People assume that it's mostly because of the cycles of the Earth's orbit that ice ages were occurring, just because the Earth has some orbital cycles to it, not just the revolution around it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I imagine that's because... So the sun isn't fixed right the sun has a little orbit and so i imagine at some point if we think about like the sun's moving and the earth's moving and we overlay those those paths on top of each other i'm doing a really descriptive hand motion right now that the viewers the the viewers the listeners aren't going to be able to enjoy but but prangel you know what i'm saying right eventually there's going to be some time where like the sun is as far away from the earth as it possibly can be and then boom we get ice age yeah, it, it's part of the elliptical, uh, the elliptical orbit is part of it. And then there's tidal forces between all the other planets and the sun mm -hmm. and us mm -hmm. and the moon and general relativity and too much to talk about mm -hmm. here. So. Yeah, so, okay, so uh, the Earth orbit has a cycle, right? That's that's one possibility here. And it's probably a, a couple of these things, right? Like the other thing I can think of is like, does the sun have a cycle that it goes through as well? It does, actually. Oh, okay. Uh, that's one of the, the possible theories, mm -hmm. that the sun just has cycles, and it just chose to change for some reason. Mm -hmm. Or it's all randomness and means nothing. Well, maybe. <laughs> maybe it's 100% arbitrary. So the, uh, so the Earth's orbit has cycles to it. 
And this collection is called Milankovitch cycles, hmm. where things like the axial tilt and eccentricity change. Milankovitch initially proposed that axial tilt, which refers to how tilted the Earth is toward the sun. The idea being that the degree of tilt varies between 22.1 and 24.5 degrees. And the larger the tilt, the more extreme the seasons would be. And just for reference, uh, the tilt looks something like this. Oh, what's that? Another picture to put on Twitter at More Abstract? Nuts. Man, I've got like three or four plugs in this episode. You're welcome. I don't even need to do it. Then another cycle is eccentricity, which refers to how circle-like the orbit of the Earth is. Now, the Earth's orbit is more circular than most of the planets, but it has this cycle where it goes from being very close to a perfect circle to more like an ellipse. So imagine that there's a part of the Earth's orbit where it gets less sunshine because it's further away from being a perfect circle. That would affect temperature since less sunshine, less heat, so more ice age. Mm -hmm. And this would be a great explanation for the ice ages because the axial tilt has a period of 41,000 years. Hmm. And the eccentricity has a period of 95,000 and 125,000 years. So I think they would average out to about 100,000 years, in the cycles that we see today. Hmm. Then there's the mystery of why this frequency actually changed. It doesn't really make sense why the axial tilt is the governing factor behind the ice ages. But then all of a sudden the Earth's like, nah, let's do eccentricity now. Huh. Yeah. Like it almost makes, like maybe the first ice age was caused by the axial tilt and the second ice age was caused by eccentricity yeah like right it's, like maybe it's it do what it do <laughs> so yeah why 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 the change in the period all of a sudden like why are you about to tell me a science or is this the mystery this is the mystery i don't know and that's where we are today hmm. with all this background and possibilities of what changed ice age frequency and there isn't actually a clear answer huh. turns out it's just one of the mysteries that we have right now. Yeah, I, I, I just I wonder if it's a superposition thing. You know, uh, you look at the the seat the 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 period of the axial tilt that gives you one kind of wave, right? And then you look at the period mm -hmm. of the eccentricity, and that gives you another kind of wave. And then maybe you look at the cycle of the sun, and that's another one. And you, and you keep doing this, right? You add in a bunch of extraneous factors, and then you add all those curves together. Does that then give you a non-periodic function, right? You see what I'm saying? Like maybe oh. when you add all of this stuff together, it gives you a thing where like this period is 41,000 and this one's 100,000. It's not like a nice sine wave anymore. It becomes like this ugly springy up and down thing. That is the official mathematical label TM copyright registered. <laughs> if they ever solve this and such a function exists and they call it anything besides the science springy doodad or whatever I said before, it's on the recording, it doesn't matter. I get a billion dollars. Oh yeah, they're gonna get sued. This is legally binding. <laughs> it, <laughs> this I named it first. Everyone heard. And it's it's recorded like it'll be it'll have a timestamp. Exactly, it. it has a timestamp. It has a date stamp. Anyway, this is not the point of the episode, but I wanted to make sure that was explicit. So, so it turns out that what you talked about the sampling rate of the data that we have is not that great, at least from the plot. So there's ongoing research to get more fine data. 
from this. Mm. So, you know, maybe in the coming years, we'll actually see a solution to this problem where, like, where, as you said, there's just a superposition of these periods and that mm -hmm. that's just what made the Ice Ages. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's, it's not a very satisfying answer. It's not like I can tell you this was the thing. Yeah, that's okay, though, because I, I, I like this whole open-endedness because it is kind of a mystery, but I am kind of... I'm concerned by data collection. You know what? That's the moral of the story here, folks. If you're going to collect data and make a graph out of it, make sure that A, it's good data, and, and B, it's a good graph. I'm, I'm just going to say, just make sure it's a good graph. That's, that's it. Just make it pretty. Don't make it ugly or multiple axes. So I know that this is not the point of it, but like, why... What was the what was the data problem? Like, what was the sampling? Like, tell me the issue with this data. Because like we ignored part of the plot, and you said there's some sampling rate issues. Did did someone do a an oopsie, or is it just that like we straight up can't drill that deep and get good information? I don't actually know the specifics of the data collection for this. Mm -hmm. I imagine it's difficult just because you have to look for these amoeba specifically, and you have to find the concentrations of oxygen, oxygen eighteen, which could be uh, have a bit of uncertainty to it. Yeah, and I also imagine it's probably hard to get like well-defined layers in a core sample that you drill out of the bottom of the ocean. Like technologically speaking, that kind of sounds like it sucks. Okay, you know, on in hindsight, this sounds like a pretty tough problem. So sorry, scientists, for talking some mad trash <laughs> here. Um, you have a difficult enough job. Folks, uh, science is dope, and uh, it's hard. But that's that's not an excuse for bad graphs. That's all I'm going to say. It's the last thing I'm going to say about the graph. I'm sorry. It's the last <laughs> okay. thing I'm going to say. But check out the graph at More Abstract on Twitter. Boom! Five plugs. <laughs> if you like this episode, please consider subscribing or leaving a review. Another plug, you can follow us on Twitter at More Abstract for supplemental content. And hey, there we go. And you can find more episodes wherever you get podcasts.